Hello, and welcome to Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball, and today's guest, Sarah Miles, has trained and worked as a nurse, traveled through Europe, the Americas, and Africa, and is the author of Transplanted, published in 2002 by Hotter Headline, and The Wolf Hour, published late last year by Alan and Unwin. Sarah, welcome. Hi, Maggie. It's a pleasure to be here. So before we begin chatting, can I ask you just to open the show with a little reading from the Wolf Hour? Certainly. I thought I'd um, just open with the beginning of the book. So we're, we're just opening r- right, right at the beginning in Chapter 1. Uh, Northern Uganda, morning. Tessa stood with the men, women and children who had gathered in the centre of the compound, some 40 villagers jostling, talking. There was dust in her throat and her heat-swollen feet were tight in her hiking boots. The braid she had plaited that morning hung like weights. She watched the boy's family approach him. Among them was a lean man in a yellow shirt, followed by a woman whose lips had been cut, punishment by the rebels for accused treachery. In accordance with the reading of Psalm 12, 3, may the Lord cut off their flattering lips and silence their boastful tongues. The man was the boy's father, and he carried a basin of water in one hand and a broad, bladed panga in the other, his face solemn, his eyes fixed. This was ritual, a tribal affair. There was none of the glossy exoticism of tourist guides, no drums or dancing, or women in bark skirts with jingling gara on their legs. This was village business. Dominic Atolai stood nearby. He wore an open neck shirt which revealed the gold chain and crucifix that hung around his neck. He touched the tiny gold body of Christ, then lifted his head. Tessa caught his eye and he nodded, but without his usual calmness. His eyes darted from one person to the next in a way that suggested he was unsure how this ceremony would go. They had brought Oreko, a 12-year-old boy from the rehabilitation centre here, driving for more than an hour through grasses dotted with Kigalia trees, their odd sausage-shaped fruits hanging like Christmas decorations. The jeep had bumped over the powdery red road while Oreko nursed his festering foot and pressed his face to the window with the same vacant look he'd had since returning from the bush. Tessa watched him now. He was small for his age, with brambly hair and a stalk-like neck, but above his top lip there was a fine nimbus of hair. He looked into the distance as though he would rather be somewhere else, and balancing his weight on his good foot, Tessa could see tension in the way he held his shoulders, the way he listened People here wanted to know, had he turned into a beetle lily, a wild thing, after so many years in the bush? Or was he still a Danal Anana, a human person? His father shuffled forward, the crowd pressed closer. Behind him was the boy's mother, whose scarred lips formed an ugly inward pucker. They had healed, but they were lumpy, a keloid reminder of what should or should not have been said. All the while, 
she kept up a soft, mournful moaning, which seemed to come without any movement from her distorted mouth. In her left hand, she carried a chicken whose feet were bound, although its wings were free and it flapped wildly, making a frantic balking sound as it struggled. The crowd talked loudly, but as soon as Areko's parents came to a halt, they fell silent. The boy's father nodded, and Areko sat down on the branch-swept earth. Placing the bowl at his son's feet, the man dipped his gnarled hand into it and sprinkled water on Areko's wounded foot, then took the chicken from his wife and with one deft spin broke its neck. Tessa watched. She re- would record the details later, noting the way the boy's father laid the bird on the ground, how he used the panga to cleave it in two, then wiped its blood and feces onto Areko's hands and infected foot. The boy flinched and straightened. Tessa felt the sting too. Would such a ritual make his infection worse? She thought of the antiseptics, her mother, a doctor, had insisted on using for the smallest cut. Tessa tightened her arms against her chest and looked on in silence. Faith is one thing, she told herself, science another, or perhaps they are the same. You just need one to rule the other out. So I might, I might leave it there. <laughs> Yes, it's a wonderful uh, passage. I'm so glad you chose that because it it picks up so many aspects of the book. It really um, it introduces Tessa in such a an intense way. Um, she's a compelling character. Uh, of course, she's naive, and and that's been mentioned before. But she also is um, kind of lovable, <laughs> sincere. Oh, I'm I'm so pleased you you said that because she is she is an injuring. You know, she mm. she comes to this. She's book smart. She's savvy, but she she's not that well experienced in 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 a very mature way. And so we we do travel with her, and it is a narrative arc. And and she does make mistakes um, regretfully, and she's trying to repair those, and she's exploring um, really what it what it means to be in the world and try and make um, a difference um, in that world that she finds confusing. So um, I I had a lot of um, oh, just just discovering myself, exploring her as a character because uh, she she was somebody who whose curiosity and um, also her, um, her her that she could get in over her head um, made me feel you know very concerned for her as I, I sort of travelled along with her and put her into these difficult difficult situations and, of course, um, you know, surrounded her with her rather complex family. Yes, and I, I know that she began, that the seeds for, for Tessa, you've said this in, in your profile in The Age, um, that the seeds for her began with her parents who you met. And I, I feel like there is almost a kind of motherly lens on her. Um, through the through the book, we we kind of feel nervous for her. We're watching over her, and we watch her grow almost in the role of her mother. I, I, maybe that's just how I read the book. And if I were a young person, I might read it in a different way. But it, it does feel like there is that sense. Yeah, there is. There is. I think there is a maternal lens there. Certainly. I mean, I I, I 
certainly think that parents will always feel responsible for their children and children will always have a need to make a life of their own. Um, and, you know, I'm a parent of three grown-up children myself and all of whom have travelled overseas. So, you know, I was really drawn to the challenges it offered as well as also going back um, in my own thinking to my own early travel uh, when, when the world was, um, you know, you just really, you're kind of quite porous and you're just... Um, realising that the culture that you've come from, even though at the time you might have thought that you were broad-minded, it was really quite narrow and that then starts to open up and, and you feel yourself, you know, um, at times out of your depth and, and struggling to, to make sense of the world. Uh, and yet, you know, I think it's, 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 um, it's a journey that we all go on, even if you stay home close to home or whether, the, you know, it's just, the events that life throws up, you 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 cannot not be affected by them at some point. So um, I was very much interested in that that arc of development. Yes, and her point of view seems to colour a lot of the book as well. Um, really, there's a mm. there's a caution or a caution's probably the wrong word. Actually, caution is definitely the wrong word. Um, but uh, um, a, a um, an attention to detail, which is quite scientific in the descriptions that surround her, as opposed to the descriptions that surround her brother or her parents? Yes. Well, Stephen as a character is more gung-ho and is more sort of, um, you know, uh, perhaps honest, but, but brutally so in his, in his thoughts. So when I was, you know, considering his, because the, the novel's more sort of a third-person subjective, so, you know, there's, there's room to move in that because you can have a, you know, a, 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 as you were talking about before with the lens, that can be widened a bit, but then you're still um, giving their point of view. So when I was um, thinking about Stephen, I was kind of, you know, much more sort of... Um, uh, you know, he had a, he has a sense of entitlement. He has a he 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 has a uh, a confidence that Tessa doesn't have. So so Tessa goes back and burrows into to the detail of things and into you know uh, how she's quite methodical in recording things. Um, as that you know the opening um, sequence sort of pointed out, she was watching that ceremony happening, but she was also thinking about. She would she would then record it later, so she would go over it again for herself. Yes, and it's quite it's quite detailed as well. Um, so you you met this couple, and they told you about your daughter, and you couldn't stop thinking about it, presumably. No, I couldn't. I couldn't. You know, I mean, that happened about a decade ago, and you know, the seed gets planted, I think. And at that time, my children were younger. They hadn't yet sort of um, gone travelling or, or, you know, finished school even. So it was kind of, but then as, as time goes on, you know, these sorts of things happen. So there's your own life sort of happening in a parallel. But I was just so intrigued um, by that sense that, um, you know, you, you have this familial pride and protection and anxiety and the the very real knowledge that you you can't live somebody else's life, least of all your children's lives. So that that was you know no no matter how maternal or paternal you feel, you can't make somebody do what you want them to do. They will do what they they are going to do. And that of course is 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 a wonderful uh, thing, but it can also present us with some serious challenges when there's a when there's a conflict in in. In, in ideas, and so I was drawn into sort of that moral kind of 
uh, the questions, you know, what do you do in a moment of crisis and um, what do you do if, if, if your children do do something that you think is reprehensible or, you know, are you surprised, do you disappoint yourself in, in how you then behave? So it was to sort of that, that whole, um, you know, just that sort of slipperiness of how we are um, and then, you know, just, just events in life that, that, that happen and, and confound that further. So that was really what got the ball rolling in the beginning for the story. Sure. And and did you know much about um, Uganda and what was going on during that time period? Or do, were you out there, did you suddenly have to do a ton of research? <laughs> I, well, I sort of, I'd always had this incredible interest in um, colonial history. I think being, you know, that, that, that I'm Australian, that you, 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 that Australia has a colonial history itself, but I looked at those pink maps on the wall of the, the English Empire and I could see that, that there was the same colour in Africa, in Canada, you know, there's this, so I've always been sort of very interested in colonial history. Um, so the carving up of Africa was something that, that has interested me and then I did travel there, but I'd never been to East Africa until I began writing The Wolf Hour and once I was sort of fairly deeply into it, I knew I had to go enormous continent you know 54 countries that are all different 2,000 languages it's just such a such a broad canvas but I wanted to be much more accurate and specific so um so yes I, I did go there and that was fantastic because it's um although it's equatorial it's elevated so there's these mountains and these um you know rolling cloudy skies and then there's savannas and then there's dense forests um so that was you know really fantastic in terms of location and landscape and the people themselves they were just wonderful and so um open to 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 wanting to um talk about their culture and their music and their languages so that was that was really fantastic too but then i did do a lot of research into the civil war and uh, the plight of child soldiers particularly and things like illicit arms trafficking. Um, and that, that, was, that was kind of fascinating. And I think like, uh, like any writer, you, sort of, you, get, you get very interested in your material and so any time there's something that's sort of, um, you know, that's going to feed that, you sort of burrow down into it a bit more and then, you know, that, that might end up being, you know, half a sentence or, or not. You might take it out all completely. But I, I did immerse myself totally in, in, the, in that era too because the book is set in 2008. Mm. So it's now, you know, um, 11 years ago. Uh, so it was 20 years into the 30-year civil war, which is now sort of, sort of mutated or, 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 or actually um, panned out to become uh, less than what it was at that time. It was sort of pretty well um, at its height, although there were, um, there were inroads into peace talks and also exhaustion. It seems to me that a civil war lasts a generation. I look at that when I think of, say, the troubles in Northern Ireland. A lot of, a lot of these conflicts seem to run for about 30 years. It's almost like you need a whole other generation to come up and realise this is not the way to live. And then, you know, unfortunately it seems that history can often repeat itself. So I'm interested in all those different threads. Mm. 
Mm. Yes, and Coney is still out there, although, I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, much reduced. <laughs> um, were you <laughs> nervous looking so closely at the Lord's Resistance Army? Yeah, I, I was. Um, I, I was intrigued and, um, and nervous, too, and also just, you know, how it developed um, because, you know, it sort of took me back to the late 80s and, and why it formed and how Connie actually took over from um, Alice Laquina, who was essentially a sort of his aunt who had, who had had these visions and had corralled a, um, a group of insurgents around her and they'd been quite kind of successful because they felt that they were... Um, you know, being exploited by, you know, the 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 army and the and the south, and and they 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 had reason to feel, you know, that they they wanted to to make a stand, and then she she kind of had a, a very brief and and bizarre sort of period of about twelve months, and then Joseph Coney came in who had this incredible charisma about him. Um, and if you look at or happen to see any photographs of him, particularly when he's a young man, he's this um, really intriguing, charismatic-looking figure. And he, again, was able to pull a lot of people who were, you know, disaffected and um, without hope towards him and his cause. But, of course, it, it then... Um, you know, sort of grew into something that was far more menacing and far more violent and destructive. Yes, as uh, often happens. I mean, some. Uh, what, yeah. what seems to me really interesting in this book um, is a kind of, it's pretty subtle, but it, it still strikes me that there's a bit of a parallel there between the Lowell family dynamics um, with what's actually happening in Uganda, almost as if there's a micro world of the family that becomes entangled with a macro world of global politics yes yeah I'm, I'm are you you yes I'm so glad you've seen that because that, that was as as I was writing I began to sort of see that as a parallel too um and even in some ways you know um how you know we have a character like Stephen who's almost got a neo-colonialistic kind of view of the world and and how he he sort of he 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 places that into his family so there's there there were those sorts of issues but that micro macro thing um was 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 very much on my mind of how even if we can't um sort of uh understand each other in a in a in a small unit in a family unit how can we understand each other in, on, on a national unit or therefore on on a global level so and that these things are similar was um yeah very much in my mind when I was I was writing the book. Yes, and even um, how in the beginning, you know, this is a kind of strange new world uh, for the reader, and then little by little, um, it, it, we, be, we sort of become embedded in what's going on. And almost by the end, I feel, and again, this is subtle, so it may be my my reading into it, but I I feel like um, by the end, we almost feel um, in some way culpable. Maybe oh, as, yeah, as, as yeah. the West, as, as Tessa's eyes, um, you know, in some ways it seems like, and in terms of what Stephen does and gets involved in, that, that, you know, in some way there's some sort of culpability and responsibility for what actually happens in Uganda as well. Yeah. 
I think there is some culpability or some disquiet and unease, mm. even if it's our our, our own. Um, uh, you know, I, I I sometimes sort of think like you know, there's, you know, right now Australia is aiming to be one of the world's leading defence weapons exporters. You know, and mm. so that that's sort of something that 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 is there subtly as an Australian, you're part of that. You know, but it's it's whether you can actually do anything about it. So there's there's that too, that disquiet. So that that was yeah, that's I, I think, yeah, you're right. I I hadn't kind of sort of really sort of seen it as explicitly as that, but thinking about it, you know, and I suppose, you know, even now just our mining interests and so on in, in, in the in the whole global global scheme of things, you know, I, I Australia's actually, you know, outnumbers the US and Canada and China uh, for the highest concentration of mining companies in Africa now with, you know, I think there's a, more than 300 projects. So it's a, we have, we have interest there, um, which, which continues. So the fact that Tess is there, you know, and why is it that, that, that um, you know, that we go overseas and do things, that sort of uh, part curiosity as, as Stephen sort of, also um, challenges Tessa at times, you know, and, and, and makes her feel uneasy about those sorts of things, uh, you know, in the, in the same way that she reflects back to him what he is, he is doing. So, mm. yeah, it, it, it is there. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you handle it beautifully. As you, as you do the whole relationship oh, between Tessa and Stephen, which is um, quite, uh, as a mother of siblings, <laughs> um, is quite well done, quite uh, authentic. And um, and I, I think, like, there's a moment there, for example, when Stephen recognizes Tessa's scream as a sound from his own past. And when Tessa recognizes Stephen's voice as something inherently familiar, you know, that entanglement between the siblings. Yeah. That simultaneous yeah, it's, repulsion it's, it's, as well. Yeah, it's that thing that, you know, I think being, you know, you, I think this is it, what, as writers, or, you know, there is, yes, of course, there's the research and that that you do, but it's, it's, it's essentially, it's, it's, it's about character and story and interaction. And I think that, that, that research that comes to it too is, is that you are a mother, that you are a sister, that you are, um, you, you, you know how, how the triggers work in these relationships. And so exploring that is also, you know, was also sort of part of, um, you know, the, the, the writing process, I guess, that, that, that comes to it. But it, you want it to ring true, you know, you want it to sort of sound um, and, and be like these, these characters have got this sort of sibling, you know, frisson between each other. Because, you know, I think your siblings can know you often better other people they've they've watched you they've seen you grow up through life so they they, they know you very well yes for sure so uh, some of what you've written is is very disturbing um not so much in the reading um but just in knowing that this is pretty real did you ever feel overwhelmed by your subject mm. matter um yeah, I, I I did. I think I did go in very deeply and I did look at it very closely. Um and I think, you know, I think my my own personal life and my nursing background was a um was an extraordinary help in that. Um and also as I say earlier, you know, meeting 
the Ugandan people and reading the testimonials and just to see how, how broad the human experience is and how extraordinarily adaptable people are because I think that was one thing that was very much on my mind too as I was writing is just that, that, that component in us that, are, that allows us to survive even if we are traumatised, mm. um, how we go about that, what, what we remember, how we, re, how we re-remember it, whether that memory is, is changed um, and, and how that can be good and bad. So I think I was just so, um, you know, sort of humbled a bit humbled immensely actually by by just the 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 extent of of human behavior and the human condition it, it was really um really interesting to to and and very yeah, very moving to to follow through yes i I can imagine. So the book ends on an open note, um, and I read somewhere that you might be working on a sequel. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> well, it's so, uh, the, the characters are sort of still going on in my head. At the moment, I'm working on something else, which is, um, you know, different again. I, 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 again, it's a, it's a novel that's a kind of a hybrid of genres, but um, I still think about these characters and I know the story is left, um, you know, I wanted it to be, you know, a, a very, um, a story that, that takes the reader with them, I hope it is, you know, and, you know, you do, I love when I read myself and something is sort of, a, you put the book down and, and you'll go away and you'll think, what if, what, how, how mm. does that, how would that unfold otherwise um so it's there but i don't i don't know at this stage not i'm working on something else but but you can never say never i think with these things it's certainly still there in my mind for sure and i you know i think that openness is quite wonderful in that it it does force the reader i think or at least me <laughs> to um just to think about who they identify with, who you know, whether there is a right or wrong. Um, I mean, they, there's an instant response where you say, you know, this person is evil, this person is good, and then when you start thinking about it, those questions continue to unfold, and just leaving the reader to think about morality and you know all aspects of the the story is, um, I think it's good. I'm not saying you shouldn't write a sequel. <laughs> I'm just saying it's, I, I also like the open note as well. I know. I like the openness too, and I also, you know, I think because it's quite an, it's, it's, it is an adult uh, book, and you know, it, because it's got that sort of, um, and which I, I like that kind of, you know, tension in it about, you know, you, you, you are sort of a bit on the precipice. So I, I, and I like that. I love that in, you know, when I read poetry. I love that when I, I read fiction. So, you know, it's that sort of, um, just that, that you know, to get that balance. But you never know what you've done, whether you've sort of teetered over the edge or, or whether you, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, you, you really never can be a complete judge of, of, of how it goes. And that's the lovely thing about the um, the relationship with the reader because I do like the uh, feedback that I get from, from readers and, and what they bring to the story themselves and, and what they feel when they relate or don't relate to, to certain scenes or characters. So it's, um, it is a, a contract, a sort of a two-way process, which um, I find really fascinating in an ongoing way. Of course. So um, can we have a hint as to what you're working on? Or uh, I know there are writers who don't like to talk about what they're working on or their work in progress. Um, it's okay to say no. Yeah. 
It's okay. Well, I'm I'm sort of uh, yeah. It's about a political comedian. So uh, again, it's a it's a story that um, I think is is questioning just really the the way we are in the world. But there's more levity in this one, uh, which is probably a good thing. <laughs> um, but then you, you never know. I don't know. It's it's not. It's certainly. I haven't. Um, I'm about halfway through, so we'll we'll see how it how it goes. It's that uh, um, in lovely part of the process where you know you're sort of layering it and um, peeling things away. So it's um, it's a great 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 treat to be able to sort of explore. So I'm sort of halfway through and not quite sure where I'm going with it yet. But you know, it it, it is different. It's not. Uh, it's not set in Africa. It's set predominantly in um, in Australia and um, some in Scotland. So, uh, yeah. It's probably makes the research a little bit different. easier. <laughs> yeah. Yes, although I, I do hope to go back to Africa. I'm, I'm drawn, drawn there. So. Yes, wonderful. Mm. Um, we're almost out of time. Uh, but, Sarah, readers who want to find out more, um, and they should want to find out more, how can they find you? Okay, they can find me um, most easily on my website, which is sarahmiles.com.au, um, and there's links there for my books and uh, to social media and things like that. So that's, yeah, on my website's the best way to summon me. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. But thank you, Maggie. Thank you for having me. It's been a treat. Thank you. Bye.